you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. It's no hustlers. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a room filled with some virtual heroes. Well, they're real. The room's virtual. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, what is up, boys? That time of year. That time. It really hit me today when I looked at the, you know, the week 15 slate for the first time, you know. And this Sunday is December 20th. How about That's that? That's something. How about that? Games being played on December 20th this weekend. Not the uh, greatest week of games coming up, by the way. Just yeah. because at this point, you know, we can't, um, you know, align ourselves with cuteness towards, like, little upstart teams like some of them just at this point are they smell bad they need to be put mm. out behind the shed to <laughs> to rot to death and then they rebirth in spring well, i thought we were sending them out to the cornfields and we would you know let them have a nice rest of their lives but you it sounds like you want to torture and 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 murder them no i feel like some are just rotting where like there is like right. the vibrant part of those teams lives okay so you this see is, where mark mark yeah, yeah mark get in the holiday spirit it's, yeah this you is know, mark, for him taking animals behind sheds and murdering this is mark them. 12 hours after forty-seven, forty-two, and uh <laughs> we are going to dig into monday night football in full but i just do want to say mark right off the bat thank you for being here because i know there are no promises made on sunday's show whether if things worked against your brownies as they did unfortunately uh, for you that you would be on the show. And yet you're here, which again just speaks to your professionalism. Well, no, a couple of things. I have nothing else to do. But secondly, what kind of scoundrel would I be to just not appear because a football team lost? Um, I think that would be something you could put on my record as, as mm. a negative. So, uh, you know, I intended to be here, win or lose. All right. And you are here and we will get to that game. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Yes, week 15 is upon us uh, in just two days, and we will preview the Chargers-Raiders tilt, uh, the Raiders' last chance to save their season in what has been a very rough, not a December to remember by Lexus and Nissan so far for the Raiders, uh, so they have one more chance to save the day. Uh, we will also, with the holiday season here, uh, offer up our own little wish lists uh, for the balance of the 2020 NFL season. So things that we, you know, we wish to have happen uh, between now and let's say Super Bowl 55. Is it 55? I don't know. Who knows? I, I, know, I can never. That is one thing where my brain just doesn't work. I can't remember any Super Bowl titles. Don't like the Roman numerals. Just uh, just tell me what teams are there. People. I mean, according to the NFL, we're still in the 100th year mm. celebration of pro football. So I, my math is completely <laughs> turned around. It's so weird because it's actually now the 150th year of the NFL. And you would think that you could have a new logo and everything. But we're still rocking with the uh, the century mark for whatever reason. Super Bowl 2021 is Super Bowl 45. How about that? Nice, clean. See, 
I, Greg, 55, you're not fifty five. Fifty five. Right? You're not as like into like traditional things as I am. I love Roman numerals. Love. No, it I, I like it. I just can never like. Whenever people, even Patriots ones that they've won, whenever they're like, oh, yeah, back in Super Bowl 47, I, I, rem- I just, my brain can't work. I can't remember which one's which. I remember the years, obviously, right. specifically, but I can't do it. Don't I get in trouble when they introduced the L into the road. Like when they started going with the L business and like when it was, oh, Bears, Patriots, Super Bowl 20, XX. It's like I can work with that. But when we're getting into weird new- numbers and numerology, I'm out. Well, the beginning of the Patriots dynasty was also tricky because you had you were at a point where there would be five, six, seven Roman numerals uh, to describe what. Okay, okay, all right. The tranked art. Put down the gun, Ricky. She's like, I'm from a younger generation. They never taught us things like cursive in Roman numerals. Okay, don't care. Cursive. You're younger. What does that mean? It means nothing. I know cursive. I I was taught it in third grade. Mm. Interesting. I, when, when when the NFL, by the way, went went away from the Roman numeral for fifty, they told me they weren't really in on it. Like if you can't do Super Bowl X, if you're not just going to be Roman numeral all the way, that's when you give up. When it would have been the best one, then you you really weren't in it to win it to begin. No, with. see, you're, Rosenthal, you're so off on this, Greggy, <laughs> because uh, fifty is Super L. Bowl L. You're not going to call Super, Super Bowl L. L. That right. looks ridiculous. Fifty is a great round number. Absolutely. Absolutely, you go with the number there. I was all for that. Now, 25, could you have made the case that Giants-Bills in 90 should have mm. used the numbers? They didn't. They went with Roman numerals. It really makes you wonder what happens when we get to Super Bowl 100. And we're going to dig into that for an hour today on the <laughs> podcast. No, Let's we're going to... We're pre- previewing the, the first game of Week 15. We're doing our wish list. Uh, but yes, Mark Sessler's here, and we're going to talk about Browns-Ravens. Let's go. Break huddle with Jackson back out there. Fourth and five at the Cleveland 44. Jackson in the gun. Five on the line. Shotgun snap. Fourth and five. Runs out of the pocket. Pass the hash mark on the numbers. Downfield throws. It's caught at the 20. Wide open is Brown. He goes from the 10 to the 5. It's a touchdown. Baltimore comes right back and they get the touchdown pass of 44 yards. Unbelievable. Kevin Harlan of Westwood won with the call. So many unbelievable things from this game, but the fact that Lamar Jackson returned from the locker room, ran on the field, put the Ravens ahead late in the fourth quarter with that touchdown to Hollywood Brown. The game still had a bunch of stuff that happened after that, but that is, to me, what people will remember most about Ravens 47, Browns 42 on Monday Night Football is the disappearance of Lamar Jackson from the mysterious cramping leading to much internet derision, his return, and then just a wild finish between two AFC North teams that are very much uh, equals, it appears, at this stage in time. Mark, uh, obviously it had to be a roller coaster of emotion for you. Uh, it, it went from nice start to uh-oh to oh, we're done to oh my goodness, we're going to win, and then the way things played out, Tell us how you felt uh, watching this game. Well, I mean, I like it was a wild night, and I I chose to. Um, I will say this real quickly that I watched the first Cleveland drive, um, the touchdown drive, which I was impressed with, alone in my garage because I'm very superstitious and antsy during these games when I'm not working, and so um, I ran into the, I went in in between the house and the garage like five or six times, and every time I would go into the house to watch with my, the rest of my family. 
the Ravens would score a touchdown like two seconds later. So finally I said, enough of this. But then I just said, enough with all of this superstition. I'm going to go inside the house and watch it with the whole family. And it was a roller coaster ride. (laughs) For me, I could tell right away, as I think we all could, that this was the version of Lamar Jackson that was um, MVP uh, level, uh, hyper dangerous, and totally plugged in. And, you know, you put that against, I think, a Cleveland defense where Cleveland's defense has a bunch of guys on one-year contracts um, outside of a couple stars. They're missing Denzel Ward. Their back seven of their defense had no idea what to do with Lamar Jackson. And I thought they got they got tricked. They got out-schemed. Um, they're not the first team to wake up on Monday morning or Sunday or Tuesday morning thinking, what the heck did we do with, with ourselves on defense? But Lamar Jackson fried them um, from wire to wire. And when he came out of that locker room, I think we've all watched enough sports where whether or not the football gods arranged that little um, you know, moment, a bit of television magic, <laughs> I didn't know that it was over, but I knew that it was that, – that seemed to me um, like a psychological shift in a game that was going back and forth. And you're right, a bunch of stuff happened after that, but something in my heart just knew um, – this is Baltimore's night, and I kind of just chilled and watched from that point. Um, it was a it was a wild ride. I don't know how to express it in bullet points or briefly. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You don't you don't need to. This is what it's like, Mark. Now you know when the Patriots were always kind of in the mix. It's like it was a lot of asking my reaction, which felt like I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about the pay. Now that the Browns are the next great AFC powerhouse for the next ten years, you're going to be the focus. Kevin well, Stefanski. No, that, that was one of my that was one of my takeaways, though. Though I think America got to see um, why, and we'll get to Lamar too. I want to talk about him, but that was such a great game for Stefanski. I never thought they were out of it. I don't think they were necessarily even out schemed on defense because it was Lamar just making up plays as he went. I mean, with two minutes left in the first half, he had been sacked more times than he had uh, thrown passes <laughs> like the, it was just him like spitballing and running and that is the toughest and scariest thing to try to stop so it's a blast to watch but I love when Stefanski goes for it on fourth and eight early in the game we're an offensive team we're gonna need to score about 40 points in this game to win he knew it he knows his team they got the fourth down late they went for the two-point conversion uh, when they were down eight which put the Ravens in a tough spot I liked even at the end of the first half he was super aggressive let Baker Mayfield throw the ball. It ended up setting up Lamar for a a big score at the end of the second quarter because Baker had a really poor drive right before the half, but that's what they got to do. They got to go for it because they are an offensive team. They are a great offensive line. They don't need to baby Baker. And when Lamar had that fourth down play, I immediately thought they probably would have been better if he had just thrown the short one and they could have ran the clock down and had Tucker kick the game-winning field goal because the Browns are going to go back and score right now. The only problem was the Browns scored too quickly, they too. It was crazy. I, I, I came out of the game on the Browns' side of things very impressed, obviously, um, with their fight and their resolve and the fact that they just wouldn't die. But also Baker, who I've been very up and down on um, his whole career because he's been an up-and-down player. But, like... He definitely has that it factor. I think that's one of the reasons why the Browns took him first overall in 2017. And like he's exactly the type of dude uh, you want behind center in a game like that when it just became like this, like uh, this uh, two gunslingers just going at it. And it wasn't just that they went down the field 
after that Hollywood Brown touchdown and tied it. They just went down the field with ease. I mean, bringing back memories of that insane uh, Chiefs-Rams shootout from a couple of years ago where it almost became like the rules of both teams and just the logic went out the window. Um, Like, if you come out of this game thinking, oh, what is wrong with the Ravens' defense? They gave up 22 points in the fourth quarter alone. Well, yeah, the Ravens, this is not the old Ravens anymore on defense. But also, that was was one of those weird special nights in the NFL where just everything goes crazy. And you just sit back and enjoy it because uh, you're watching something that doesn't happen too often. And and the only thing I thought, and I text Mark, I uh, very carefully texted you uh, later in the night after the game just to t- touch base with you. The only thing I would have done differently, and I know it's crazy and it probably doesn't make a difference, but you never know. Um, Stefanski had been so brilliant and hanging onions all game. Why not go for two uh, when you uh, go down the field and and have the chance to do it? and maybe take the lead, and then who knows what happens when the Ravens get the ball back. That's the only thing I would have You've gone all the way at that point. Go for mm. two and just try to steal a one-point win uh, in that spot, 43-42. I agreed not- with you. I agreed with you. I mean, I think, like, you know, there's logic on both sides of that, um, but it would have fit their daring DNA for the night. I mean, I you know, I, I think it came down to one of those games where who made the more critical mistakes and— for as good as Baker Mayfield's been over the past, you know, two or three games, um, and mistake-free over the last month, I thought that interception was uh, was a deciding, uh, a huge deciding factor. And Cody Parkey, who's been money for the Browns, you miss a, a, a gimme field goal and a PAT, and you look at how the game ended. Um, you know, that said, I mean, I think I'd point to the Kareem Hunt scoring too quickly as something that you know this is teams a month removed from Nick Chubb, um, you know, being being you know kind of ripped for it, but not wanting to do that and running out of bounds and giving the chance the Browns a chance to run out the clock. I do I just kind of feel like if you wanted to look at deep deep strategy, the idea of maybe not scoring there and taking it down you to the can't. very end. It's too hard there. I mean, they were where where would that place, you know, they scored so quickly. They they couldn't have strategized on that. You know what I mean? Like so it's easy. just it's just one of those things. Like they went yeah. they went so quickly and that play wasn't even inside the fifteen yard line. It was a little short <laughs> pat. I mean that is a play call you don't expect to score. If anything, maybe Stefanski is thinking about getting the first down and bleeding some clock. We don't know, but they, they scored too quickly. I thought about them going for two there, but I think you know, the analytics move would be not to, and for the reason that you saw, which is that it's not worth, the the juice isn't worth the squeeze when there's such a decent chance that Tucker's going to kick the game-winning field goal anyways. You know, like, you got to get a stop either way, um, and is it worth that that risk of not getting the two when, when, you know, there's such a good chance, you know, the Ravens can go score uh, either way. But I I love the fans. It's just... I just wonder what happens if McSorley didn't get hurt. Was Lamar really coming back in that game? He said after the game that like, oh, I was coming back either way, but I don't know. He didn't. Would it have run been out. that play? He didn't though. run out until McSorley got hurt, and it was literally fourth down. Like if McSorley had fumbled that play, which could have easily happened, the game's over. Let's hear from Lamar Jackson talking about the events surrounding his absence and, in general, uh, the wild nature at the end of the game. He's doing a great job dropping the ball down the field. Then I see my guy go down. And as as I'm seeing him go down, like, I'm still stretching. Like, I'm like, I got to get back. I'm catching the attitude because I'm like, man, it ain't going the way we want to. And then I see him go down, and I'm like, we got to start. Nah, like, we just got to go out there. Nah, and I start running out there. Kale running with me. It's fourth down. Then offense line brought the, brought the tail off, and our guys just made great catches, and we came out with the victory. Yeah, it was a lot of talk on social media that 
you were kind of like jogging, like you had to use the bathroom or something. No, I was cramping. I ain't putting a Paul Pierce. I didn't put a Paul Pierce. I, I was cramping. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pull no Paul Pierce. I don't. Greg, you're a Boston sports fan. I don't even know what that reference is. But I really, guess, yeah, oh, I, I kind of forget what well, happened. With Paul there was Pierce, a, there was a famous former Celtic. Yeah, there was a famous playoff game. Jeez, was it against the Nets? But he got pulled. He got taken off the field in a uh, off the, oh, court the wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Game. And oh, then a he shoulder comes back injury. He and, hurt his yeah, shoulder. Yeah, and he pretended that he was hurt. And then he finally. And there had been rumors forever that he just had to poop. poop. And he finally admitted it uh, on ESPN a year ago. So it kind of came back into the news. He <laughs> he did he did say like yeah I really was just uh, pooping. But the thing is I never I never bought the poop story be- because of a lot of NFL players tweeting about it and stuff because like. What? What? Why would he be back there for thirty minutes? It, the timing right. was just weird that he was suddenly able to come back in, and then he could run uh, on fourth. Amen. It's not like every man, know. every man and woman has a different journey when it comes to that world, and some people are in and out one, two, three, and some people, you know, they know. go in that there. Was and a long, there's there's a candle lit, and there's a magazine out, and there's a, you know, there's some time to take. I don't know. That is, it's one of those funny like subplots that we'll always remember. Uh, when you look back at this decade of NFL football, what he said it was cramps. You don't know what it was. But I was amazed, amazed uh, that, all right, you missed one series. Okay, he's going to be back. When McSorley comes out on the field and they're losing, I'm actually a little bummed as a football fan because you wanted this game to go out with just the Browns and Ravens trading haymakers with their best players. Then it looked like the Browns are going to win because Trace McSorley was on the field when it mattered most. So, the way it played, it was cinematic, really. Uh, with and you hope McSorley's okay when he he wrenched his knee there. Uh, but for him to come in, run on the field, and then of all things to throw a touchdown pass, that really was remarkable. I mean, I was saying in in you know to to Simone and the kids, like I don't want them to sneak away with a win with Trace McSorley closing this out. Then Lamar came back on the field, and I thought, well, maybe I do. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> Just, I do let's want take that. It. You know, let's take it. Like the the crazy part in. And um, Greasy kept pointing this out. You know, he had 81 yards passing when he re-entered the game on fourth and five. And he had 82 yards more the rest of the way. It wasn't just that one throw, which I couldn't have been the only person thinking, don't throw it, like run for the first down. Like, oh, and then you see it's Marquise Brown who's dropped everything. You're like, don't throw it to Marquise Brown. But he he actually catches that one. Uh, It's also the next drive where... It was a minute left, and you're thinking, oh, I think the Ravens are going to do this. But I didn't expect them to do it throwing all these out routes, which they couldn't complete once the entire game. Suddenly, he goes four for four throwing the ball to set up the win. It really was kind of an MVP, put the team on on my back. Like, I'm just more athletic than everyone else on the field. I don't know how far that takes this team. Their defense is a problem, I think. But, they, man, the schedule sets up. I think it's this is the game that's going to get them into the playoffs. Well, their schedule is it's very workable, and I think right. that Dan's prediction that they would, you know, run the table to get into the postseason is it will happen, and um, they suddenly look extremely dangerous now that they don't have you know fifteen players on the Corona their, list. But, I, but their defense was looked bad against Dallas. They can't, they have no pass rush. Calais Campbell's a, a shell of him, former self, and they are as thin at cornerback if they can't get Peters. Um, and Jimmy Smith back. I guess Peters did return in that game. That was enough. I mean, Campbell, there was there was so much when they had. And good job by John Harbaugh. What's it like to have a good head coach uh, calling that tie, timeout when uh, the Ravens were about to have too many men on the field because Calais couldn't get off the field? 
Uh, they showed Calais like leaning over to say something to Harbaugh, and Calais looked like he was like sixty five years old. I, I don't know if if something has happened and he's well, aged in dog years or something, but he looked like a beat up old man at that moment. He's come back from an injury, I think, too quickly. He had this calf injury, and he has he has been pushed around the last two weeks, and they don't have much. But I hope you enjoy it, Mark. It is something cool that that was the game of the year. I felt like that was the game of the year in the first half too. It's be- maybe it's because of you partly. But it's also like the history of these two teams, the fact that it's the biggest game I think that the Browns franchise has had in a long time, certainly one of their biggest ever, their chance to get Baltimore out, the Lamar, like being Lamar factor, like that I didn't even before the great ending to me, that was awesome. And uh, I think it's a step in the right direction that the Browns are in the the best game of the year, you know, in week 14, and, and they were right there at the end. Well, I think it's highly surreal for most Browns fans, and, you know, I, I heard the moral victory thrown around a lot, and I, and I get that. Um, I think the difference would be, had they done that, if that game had happened between Cleveland and, say, the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm all about the moral victory, but, um, like, I lost a few followers a couple weeks ago when I tweeted a rather heat-seeking um diatribe against the Ravens when they lost that uh, Wednesday game to the Steelers. And, and some of them were our <laughs> listeners who I, who I like, but you know, they're in England and they became wow, Ravens fans. how bad fans. was it? What was the tweet? Well, no, I, I don't even remember <laughs> this. It was, you, you probably, you've heard anything I tweeted about them. You've heard me say before when I get irritated. Ricky, can you find that tweet if possible? Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> it's from a while ago. Um, I just, you know, the Ravens are different to me. And, and I, like, I, I really, one thing I like about Stefanski is that he completely shot down the idea of that specific opponent um, equaling a moral victory. That, that's not oh, the yeah. case. It's not um, a moral victory. It isn't, because I keep hearing that you know the Ravens are, and I think for someone that lived through the move, it's different than if you picked up Baltimore 10 years ago or if you picked up the Browns 10 years ago. There's just different, deeper layers, and we've been through all that. But you know they called the Ravens Cleveland's big brother, and, and the Ravens were also ripped from Cleveland's belly. So even if you looked at like Greek and Roman myths, the idea that a big brother is taken out of the stomach of a little brother is a plot that those myths didn't even attempt to um, cook up with. So it's a very odd, uh, you know, relationship between the two teams. I thought it was kind of cool to see um, Stefanski and Harbaugh at the end of the game. They showed extreme respect to each other. And if there's even um, respect going towards a Cleveland coaching staff at this point, that is a massive sea change. So it is a step forward. Um, and uh, believe me, uh, like in, in Dan, this will be the Jets at some point. Anyone that follows a struggling team at some point, if you live long enough, you'll it will be there. It's totally surreal. I'm not catching up with it um, emotionally. I just hope that they don't flounder and right. somehow get knocked out by the Ravens because everyone sort of booked them for the playoffs, and they have work to do for that to be true. They're not in yet. They Things could go wrong. They've got think, to stick to who they are. I think they'll be all right, though, Mark. We've seen so much this year that they know how to take care of their business. That would be that would be a real change of personality for them at this point. And I agree with you. Moral victories don't take you very far, especially when you have a chance to beat the Ravens of all teams. But, uh, yeah, like when we were texting yesterday, three years ago in April, Mark and I were in the cozy here at the bar in Los Angeles by our office uh, d- taking a shot because Mark had – team had taken Baker number one and, and the Jets took Darnold number three and it, it felt like the a new beginning the Jets obviously have gone the total opposite direction and are worse off than they ever were but look at where the Browns are now from then when they were coming off their own 0-16 season so there's so much to be excited about and um, two, two quick points first of all Justin Tucker 
you guys know my feelings about Justin Tucker. The fact that it felt like it was a done deal when he's on the field uh, just tells you everything you need to know about him just drilling a 55-yarder. To the, the open-air end of the stadium. Yeah, with the eyes medium. of the world on him. Never a doubt. That guy is a Hall of Famer to me. And how about a name for the game? What do you think about the, the holy <laughs> game? <laughs> that works on multiple levels. So I like why, it. why not? I like it. Uh, I want to speak one thing into existence. Well, no, yes. finish your finish what you were going to say, Dan. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I, I'm speaking this into existence because then, in, in in the way I see it, then this will not happen. Um, there is a scenario where the Jets and Dolphins end up in total hell, or the Jets and Browns end up in total hell. Where if the Browns lost to the Jets, if Sam Darnold outdueled Baker Mayfield and the Jets beat the Browns, and it's oh somehow <laughs> compelled to <laughs> knock the Browns out of the postseason and the Jets out of the first overall pick, that would be very dark. So right. this will back. not happen because... We're going back to the cozy. I don't care if it's closed, Mark. If right. that happens, we will barge through those doors. We'll Stop it. Stop um, it. And yes, that was a certified lock-off, and uh, it, it gave me no pleasure to feel your pain, Mark, but uh, I got to take the W and, and move forward. <laughs> it's a Dan Hansis shout-out. I got to take that dub. Well, over Erica, too. She's, um, she's and we back knew. in a back Just in a like corner. we knew Justin Tucker was going to smoke that field goal. When Erica aligned herself and she she was hemming and hawing, should I pick the Ravens or Browns? When she picked Cleveland, you knew it was all over. <laughs> you knew it was all over, and sure enough, that's how it played out. Way to go, Erica! Thank you, Erica. You on the show? Oh, there she is. Yeah, um, I don't like this narrative being spun. It's not a narrative. It's it's actually now just the way society is, and your that's your your fate within this realm. I really thought the Browns were going to pull it off when, when they went down and scored, and I was just like, this is it. Like, I was really, really rooting for it, and maybe that's that's my downfall. Yeah. That's, that's don't it. don't blow this, Browns. I don't think they will either, but don't blow this. Don't blow it Sunday. Don't. Win, win that game in New York, beat the Jets, and then have, like, a, a dead, boring game in Week six. Don't even sweat it out in Week 17. All right, there we go. Mark, we can close the book on that game. I'm sure it will never come up again. In fact, never. as we're taping this, it's playing on NFL Network. I know that for a fact. And uh, you you might have to deal with some replays of that for the rest of the time. But, you know, that is, I guess, the price of being involved with a classic game uh, when, it, when it goes your way. You love when it comes on all the time. When it doesn't, it's just one more thing that makes life kind of annoying. I will take it, assuming that they replay a game that they win at some point, NFL Network. They seem to specialize in playing Browns Heartbreakers. I don't know if it's a personal note towards towards myself. It might but, be the um, inventory they way. have to choose from. Ultimately, I mean, I feel like it probably outweighs. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's uh, move forward. All right, it is the holiday season, Greg. We're smack in the middle of Hanukkah, or as Smokey Robinson calls it Chanuka, and uh, I know that's a a big time celebration in your home. Uh, no, we don't. I, Unfortunately, sometimes people that like aren't really that close with me, they'll like text me like, oh, happy Hanukkah. And (laughs) I'm always torn of like, do I bother to tell them we don't celebrate Hanukkah or not? You got a menorah in the house? No. Oh, wow. So you're really not. You are hands off. This is a hands off. (laughs) You're you're borderline anti Hanukkah. No, I'm all about it. I support it, but I wasn't raised that way. So it hasn't really been. Gotcha. Fair. We're off to a flying start in this holiday segment. <laughs> uh, we, we do have Christmas trees up uh, all across the Southland. And uh, with Christmas here, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa's 
rolling big time in 2020. So let us uh, share our wish list. And I know, for instance, my kids, Jack is just learning how to write. Um, so he, he sent his letter to Santa, uh, Harrison, just a boy of barely four years old. So I, I helped make his list, which I think just had slime on it. It was very limited in scope. Uh, very valuable. But the, those were sent to, to Santa, and then Santa hopefully listens and, and brings the children the gifts that they they desire. So why not? Why don't we put together our own holiday wish list here? Uh, hopes for the uh, rest of the 2020 season, how we want it to play out. Mark, do you want to get us going? Sure. Um, you know, I I think that I've had to take a long look in the mirror at my attitude towards the. Los Angeles football teams in the December and the holiday season is a time for healing and giving. And I want to give a gift to um, not the Rams necessarily, but the, but the Chargers, who I think that they've been through a lot this season. And Wait, you, you want know, to give you, them a gift? Wait, I might have the segment wrong. I thought we're asking for something, or are we giving something? I thought we are putting, yeah, it's a wish list. It's like it's we're, a wish like, list. we're yeah. like those little children writing to Santa. Please. Well, I never, I obviously didn't master the writing to Santa part. I will suggest that they, I will speak to someone inside the Chargers organization. We know a few um, to put this on their wish list. How about that? Because I All think right. they don't, they don't know nice about pivot. this object, um, but they, they will like it. Um, and it is, <laughs> it is Bridget. It is Bridget. Oh, a Supercomputer. Wow. Wow. The technological <laughs> minstress. Um, because, you know, the Chargers, it, it, to an embarrassing level, we know that they can't handle end-of-half scenarios, end-of-game scenarios. It's become a national narrative, and it seems to travel from era to era and coach to coach. They may have Eric Bieniemy paired with Justin Herbert a couple months from now, but even if they stick with, with Anthony Lynn, who we're, who we're fans of, um, they could use Bridget, who is a, as far as we know, technologically advanced, um, also a bit of a biting. She's, she's not going to mince words. She's going to tell you how things are. A caustic wit she has for a robot. She does. And I think the Chargers need some tough love. Good one, Mark. Okay, there she is. And I would just say, let's give them Bridget. It gets Bridget off the hands of this show. I don't have to deal with her again. So it helps me as well. Any gift you give someone else should partially help yourself. You basically have brought her out of the dumpster. I mean, I had forgotten about the Bridget 5000. And um, if if I would have had one wish that that you would have um, granted on my behalf was Give me a little heads up on this bit. I would have had Bridget like synced up for major laughs for the audience. Well, we I I did speak to um, our producer about this, and it's up to her what she chooses to do with the with that part of it. Um, what was that, Bridget? Uh, good one, Mark. Not <laughs> good one, Mark. Not Bridget's one of those uh, characters on the show where I could just remember. Which bits brought the most anger to Mark? And that was one of them. To the point where Bridget had to be tossed in a dumpster because I needed to keep the show uh, floating for another, you know, de- decade or so so we could, you know, pay our rent and things of that nature. Well, I, 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 went, I sorted through some of the other clips that she has at her disposal, and it's all like Greg is back on the acid. Mark has no good thoughts. Dan is hot. Oh, Dar- Dan made a mistake. No worries, Dan. How would you have known? Uh, you know, things like that. So it, it felt, you know, like get it out of, our, out of our ecosystem and give it to the Chargers. Enjoy it, Bolts. Wow. So, so the what logic are they here... What do they do with it? Yeah, what are they The logic here is that Bridget helps with time management? 
Yeah. Well, you know, Bridget, I think if you were to reconfigure her system a bit, could become one of those. They apparently don't hire anyone from the analytical community. So oh. let's just give them a robot oh, to handle yeah. late game I situations. So Can you she, imagine Bridget on the headset with Eric Bieniemy or Anthony Lynn? She, They'd be like, we, Bridget's got it handled. See, in this case, you could be like, Anthony, do not run the ball. With 20 seconds left and no timeouts. Oh See? Unbelievable. Greg is back on the acid. <laughs> All right, there you go. So the wish is that the Chargers have Bridget the Robot to help with <laughs> clock management. All right, uh, up next, Greg Rosenthal. All right. Um, they do have this, like, mailbox in, in my neighborhood where the kids drop off um, their wish That's list nice. for Santa, which That's is sweet. cute. We, we did it. We have a Where's Christmas. Where's that going? We have a tree. I do wonder, like, is this another, like way they're collecting personal information who knows who knows just a a a beam of holiday sunshine it it was great i love we got the tree we got it all i'm i'm asking for something just a little bit after christmas i'm asking the football gods for a week 17 that matters because i'm looking ahead and Uh i am seeing a scenario here where the final week of the season has what uh they call in in tennis or cricket sometimes a lot of dead rubbers a lot of games that don't really have oh. any impact on uh, what's moving forward. Imagine this, and this is the all of these are about are more than 50-50 to happen. So it's very possible a scenario where the Chiefs have already clinched home field, probably the Steelers have already clinched AFC North, but have no chance for home field. The Packers have already clinched home field. Very possible, considering the Saints matchup this week and the tiebreak advantage Green Bay has. The Rams have already clinched the NFC West. All they got to do is beat the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks, the Browns, all these other teams are in, and we just have a whole bunch of Week 17 games that don't really matter. Maybe we have like a Cardinals team playing a resting Rams team to make it into the playoffs, and that and some NFC East nonsense is all we get in Week 17. I'll, I'll give you another example because this uh, I was looking at the schedule this morning. Let's say by the grace of God the Raiders beat the Dolphins next week, and that becomes a uh, stone-cold race for the seventh spot. And then the Dolphins need a win against the Bills in a great division showdown, but the Bills locked up the East and can go nowhere. Yeah, so they don't another they one. don't play their starters, and then the Dolphins end up getting the seventh seed potentially by default against a bunch of backups. It's 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 for real. It's a concern here. I think part of the thought of making just one team get the bye, you know, you know, you're you're trying to get an extra playoff game, basically. But I think one of the side effects is taking away that second buy. Yes, you're adding the seventh team, but you're also taking away that second buy. And especially this year, where there's no home field advantage, why would why would teams? I wonder even if the Colts and Titans would play out all out to win the division. Like you would you would assume they would. But I don't know if they're both in the playoffs. Do they really care that much? Would a week off in the middle of this pandemic be a, a little more valuable I to honestly, Philip Rivers and Derrick Henry than trying to get the four seed instead of the six seed? Like I, I don't know. I would go play on. for the matchup you want in January if there's any way to do that. You know, versus the seeding. Like the Browns fans are great. That 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 was the first time the entire season I felt like there was a. Any level of home field advantage, not that it was huge, but it, you sensed that that game was being played in front of humans and humans that were fired up and, you know, maybe a little close to each other and, and not practicing mask diligence. Uh, but at the same time, it, it felt like a real crowd there. If you look at the numbers, I haven't checked in a while, but the last time I did, the road teams have a better record than the home teams this year. So, yeah, that is a big part of this, too. I think if you're playing at home and you have no fans, it's almost weirder because you have. 
like muscle memory of remembering there being 70,000 people. But to your point, Baker had to quiet that crowd last night. There is one thing I like about Week 17, whether or not the matchups are good or not. And I'm with you, Greg. I'd like to see four or five that, that really matter. But um, you are sort of waving farewell. And I don't mean this the way I normally would mean, where it's like, all you know, get rid of these teams. Like, you're seeing teams for the final minutes until next September. And there is something really weird about Week 17 where... Bang, they're gone. They're out of your life. They're just, they vanish. See a Zach Taylor and Brandon Allen. <laughs> it's like, we'll miss you. Not really. <laughs> Some of them we do need to say goodbye to. Um, all right. I will, I will go next. All right. So I wish that J.J. Watt is playing his final games as a member of the Texans. Wow. You know, so many great memories for Watt. He's been in the league since, I believe, 2011 or 12. And, uh, you know, the Defensive Player of the Year awards. Um, that cut he used to reopen above his head, uh, right above his uh, his brow line. And then he would bleed out like the Iron Sheik in a uh, cage match every week. The infamous varsity letter jackets before the Patriots blowouts. <laughs> you know, those the grueling injury rehab efforts, which are commendable. That hard knock season where he set up his own private workout under the lights which was awesome and fun. Uh, the noble and wildly successful Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund, uh, which raised, this is real, $41.6 million, making it the largest crowdsourced fundraiser in Houston in history. Uh, he's a Houston deity, uh, but it's time to let him go. He's 31 years old. Uh, he has one year left on his contract. He's owed $17.5 million. It's not guaranteed. The Texans could... Uh, simply uh, cut him and move forward. They could trade him, which feels like a, a, a better route potentially for them as long as you play ball with J.J. and send him somewhere where he wants to play. But I don't know how many years Watt has left. I know he's not the same guy he used to be. T.J. has probably even eclipsed him within the family rankings of defenders in the NFL. But wouldn't it be nice to see uh, J.J. Watt playing for a contender uh, in the twilight of his career? It, it would. It also would be a tough first move for whoever's coming in there. There aren't many um, players, I think, that are more beloved. He by needs their... to kind of put that out there that he's yeah. part of this decision for sure. He does. Yeah, he doesn't strike. You know, he 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 always talks about how much he loves the Texans. You're right. Maybe th- maybe things could change. It depends on who gets there. But that that would be a tough one for whoever is coming in and being the general manager. Because by the way, I think he's still a good player. Like I think you could get something for J.J. Watt. Because his contract's fine, uh, he's still really good. He's a, he's he's not quite a Pro Bowler, but he's not far off of that. I would just say because you have Deshaun Watson, and it seems like some of the stuff there is fixable. If he were super fired up about who they hired as coach, um, it's just I, I'm with you, Dan. That if he's if he gets um, sunk into a more depressing version of the Texans going forward, he's earned the right to go somewhere else, and uh, we've earned the right to see him win with a team that knows how to organize. Uh, we have earned that right. It'd be nice. Business. It'd be nice. I agree. It, it, this popped in my head because after they got their ass beat 36-7 by Mitch Trubisky on Sunday, he was quoted. He said, we gave up 36 points today. We're not competitive. We gave up 36 points. And it just seemed like he knows what's going on here. The, the Texans are in such a weird spot because you have – the Deshaun Watson, who can speed up any rebuild, obviously, but they're in such a hole because of the Bill O'Brien GM experience that 
they're not going to be able to get better quickly, especially on defense without any draft resources. Mm. And J.J., it could work for both sides. J.J. gets a fresh start at the end of his career with a contender, and they could bring back a, a draft resource that they desperately need after those deals at the end of the Bob tenure. Mm. Uh, let him go. But only if he wants it. And he And Greg, you're right. He needs, if they're going to do this, whoever takes on this job, and I don't think it will be Greg Easterby, J.J. has to be out in front and saying he's part of the decision that they've mutually decided this is the way to go. You just called him Greg Easterby. That was a slight on me, really. (laughs) I mean, if Jack Easterby just at this point just let him go, I mean, there there will be, you know, torches and pitchforks towards the country. I think think after that Sports Illustrated profile of Easterby, something tells me Easterby's days are are numbered in Houston. We'll see. All right. Uh, Ricky, you said you had one. Yes, yes. Okay, so hear me out. If there's anything not necessarily positive that has come out of COVID, but my wish for this Christmas and, you know, goes into the next season is that I hope some teams and reporters kind of take a different, similar approach to training camp. You know, I want them to have the normal training camp time and a lot of time and practice. However, I don't need to hear that Randall Cobb is was taking more, you know, reps than normal and he's going to be the, you know, wide receiver one. I don't need that in my life. And I don't think we all, I think we all do. And Mark's pumping his fists. You must agree with me. Just let them have their training camp. Give us our limited access. Let's leave you know the narratives and the BS alone, and let we'll see you in September. So you don't want, okay. for instance, so you just you want don't... to skip training camp. <laughs> well, no, I just don't want media media to have this access that creates these narratives that we talk about for months on end. That means we need those narratives. Nothing. This is an annual, yeah. This is an we annual mark them. mark bit. I like it. No, uh, no, coming, I, no. Come, no. You've said that the, the, the we can can we just fast forward to the season is what she's saying. But a rare member of the media saying less access, please. Please, please keep us out, billionaires. I like it. I think there's a difference between, for instance, Erica, pro Mike- billionaire stunner uh, from the woman that grew up with a Healy pad. Please, right. please. There's a difference between like what Mike Garofolo said the other week, where he, you know, you got to give reporters access to give us information and to develop stories that should be told. My thing is more not about the season so much as. That August training camp preseason thing, Mm. I I personally um, thought that the NFL this year with no chance to play the Pro Bowl, that should have been gone as a game ages ago. And the preseason, it got fixed for you by Corona. Okay, we don't need the preseason. One game, I could do one game. Like maybe the idea of even one game or two games where one is just simply no veterans or whatever it is, but the idea of that team is still playing five preseason (laughs) games. I'm already worried about this. I'm not already worried about it. Well, at least least you can be grateful. This was your dream year, uh, Erica, with virtually no access in in training camp. It was. Wait, wait, wait. Do you hear that? What is that? Oh, silence. It's nice. Mm. Mm. It's quiet. I don't care who's showing up late and doesn't seem like their heart's in at this training camp. Oh, please. I adore it. I adore it. I I will stand up for uh, the everyman. And uh, when you make people that love your football team uh, and want to be season ticket holders pay full price for those two preseason games. That is hokum, to borrow a Damashikism. Mm. Uh, so, yes, I'm all for uh, defunding the preseason. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like a long way off. 
Feels like right. another world. Uh, uh, Mark, you got another one? Well, I, I do. In, um, Is it Bridget related? <laughs> in Colleen fashion, I honestly misunderstood the exercise, and I gave a gift to someone, so I don't okay. know. All right, sure. Go ahead. I'll do it real quick. It's actually a gift for Erica. It's not based on her recent comments, but um, oh, okay. um, you know, a little bit off the NFL sector to some degree. But if we don't have a podcast, we don't have the NFL in our. Listen, world, Mark so. had a, it was a it was a tough night at the Sessler house. I want to learn more about the garage house dynamic because the way Mark told the story was that he started the night watching the game in the garage and the Browns did well. He goes to the house. The Ravens right. strike back each time. And then at some point, Mark just threw his hands up and said, ah, I'm going to be with the family. I believe what's left out there is a, a bit of a, a uh, dust up between Simone, your lovely wife, saying, Mark, grow up. Don't blame us for the Browns. Get in this house. And, and Mark went, OK. No, well, <laughs> no, like she knows me well enough. She's like, if you're going to be super stressed out, she's like, I totally get I totally get it, but that's fine if you want to watch it in the garage. I just started to realize Saint the idea Simone. that, like, when I was 12, I used to stand on one little tiny patch of carpet during Browns games for three straight hours um, because if I moved off it, I thought they'd lose. And it's like, I don't have powers over oh, these you. events. Maybe so. you should have moved off that spot. <laughs> well, you're you're not wrong. All right, so my gift for Erica. Shall we get to it? All right. Sure. So, Erica, um, because I think it's in our best interest that you stay safe and sound, I am going to clone... Um, Eddie Spaghetti uh, and have him stand watch outside your apartment against any um, additional creepy men asking you to open their frozen pizza boxes and cook their pizzas and borrow your knives to cut their pizzas and maybe do other things with knives. Um, but there is one catch in our technology. Um, the cloning technology is a, a C plus, C plus at best right now. So cloned Eddie um, would he'd be standing there, uh, very guard-like and consistent, but with like two percent of the uh, Eddie's real personality. Um, he also has like a ravenous appetite. So you and so Jet, he's Frankenstein, would ha- basically. Yeah, essentially, yes. You and Jet would have to make um, bowls of fresh, piping hot spaghetti because, according to his name, that's the only thing he'll eat um, on the ready, twenty-four-seven. He eats a lot. He has access to your restroom. Uh, Merry Christmas. But I do think that the upshot will be that Cramps. you would stay safe from hooligans. And Unless he's in the bathroom. Well, that's part of the price. But um, Thank you. My wish is that the next time a uh, mentally unhinged stranger comes to the door and asks Erica for a machete, a pair of gloves, and to turn off the security cameras, Erica doesn't go, A-OK. A-OK. <laughs> That would be good. Sign, too. sign me up. Do you want my credit card? <laughs> All right. So there you go. Eddie Spaghetti Frankenstein Monster to protect Erica. Thanks, Mark, Mark. You are on fire today. I love it. Um, my second one connected to Monday Night Football. <clears throat> I believe that the Monday Night Football crew earned their button last night. And I know Greg's going to push back on this, but uh, I think they've been very good this season. Steve Levy, play by play, Greasy, Lewis Riddick. Um, I think ESPN should take last night's game, which I thought was really handled well uh, in a a huge spotlight with tons of twists and turns back and forth. Um, They they found the moment, they rode the moment, and it felt like uh, we were all watching the game together. Uh, Steve Levy goes down in uh, Monday Night Football, uh, has his iconic line of his own now, and here comes Lamar Jackson. They'll be playing that for years when he came back from the uh, locker room and my thought is ESPN should put a ring on the finger, make this relationship legit. Um, we know the Tessator Booger era was an obvious mistake. 
Uh, and this current setup wasn't their first choice. Uh, but give me this team with solid chemistry over shoehorning, you know, Drew Brees or Drew Carey or Drew Barrymore or whatever. Uh, just let these people grow together because I think it's been a really promising rookie season for that trio. Mm. Well, Drew Brees is signed with NBC, you know, unless they had a clause in their contract. Um, you know, but what about that, Drew Barrymore? Saying that he couldn't get into uh, any hot water with some, some hot takes. Remember that? Remember when Drew Brees broke up the Saints locker room forevermore over the summer? That was fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really, that really haunted them this season. They I just know. finished their nine-game <laughs> winning like, streak. That was like we needed something. I yeah. mean, it was rough. Um, I do like the the theory behind what you're talking about because moving to another booth next year is basically admitting you're like the early Haslamera Browns that like we can't like no one can last with us for more than a year or two and you're making this crew into being Rob Chudzinski which isn't isn't fair to them it's basically a bad it's showing what poor management ESPN has go for some consistency I, I think they've gotten better and I think that's a good sign I mean week one I thought that Kirk Herbstreet and friend where um, Chris Fowler were, had just had flat out more chemistry and it concerned me that like a couple weeks in a row when these other games got put into prime time because of Corona that they were outshining I thought the Monday Night Crew over and over and yeah, I was waiting for the version of Lewis Riddick that we get I think in um, talk segments and on Twitter and I think we're getting more of that um, I heard him this morning on, on Dan Patrick and he did an excellent job with his observations of the game. So I think just letting them be more of who they are. Um, I'm with you, Dan. I'd stick with it. I don't want another crew starting from scratch. Um, I don't think it's the, the, I think they keep trying to recreate magic from the 80s when it was really special to watch Monday Night Football and have a three-person crew when usually a two-person crew just simply is the way to go these days. But if you're going to do this, um, I, I think they've earned it. My one concern would be that Lewis Riddick could be pulled away to a front office sooner than later. I mean, I keep hearing that, and there must be a reason you keep hearing it. I mean, if if Riddick were to go, I think it would survive with no disrespect toward him. But I think I really liked Greasy a lot. I think he's done a good job, and I think Levy's a pro. Um, those are the two guys that jump out to me. Uh, more than perhaps Riddick does, uh, but uh, I mean, as long, like when, yeah. as long as Greasy isn't acting like no one else in the country has watched Carson Wentz play, it's just like like sometimes where it's like be up to speed with where the rest of us are in terms of our cynicism sort towards certain players. Sometimes it's like this over celebration of both teams where one of the teams has major issues going on. Be real about it because we're not we're too savvy as viewers uh, in 2020. It's a tough spot. Levy's never done NFL games. To me, that's the hardest job in sports play-by-play, and and I think you can just see out there, there's a there's a, a big cast of characters with a ton more experience being on NFL play-by-play. So if they're going to do this, you got to be patient with them. All right, Greg, you got one more? I'll throw in uh, just some speed round ones. Uh, n- number one, let's uh, let's get Brian Flores the coach of the year. I'm so impressed with Brian Flores. Win one of the, you know beat the Patriots, beat the Raiders, and uh, you win coach of the year. Love love him. I want to see Alex Smith back in the lineup. This better not be the end of the Alex Smith story. Give me week 17 and Alex Smith being carried off the field for the division winning football team. If this calf injury is it. That would be a big-time bummer. And then uh, this is for all the writers of around the NFL. We don't do it as much anymore. But the Cowboys, just give Dak Prescott his contract like January 5th. Surprise everyone. 
that there's no drama to it, that the story's over right there, like just on a on a quiet Tuesday way, way before the playoff games. Here it is. We don't have to worry about it. When I heard like greasy or so, it was some um, or maybe it was, it was like there's going to be one heck of a negotiation coming up. I was like, give me a freaking break uh, every year. <laughs> just do it. Uh, Erica. Pay the man. Yes, that was a good one. one. Yes. My wish is that hopefully with the vaccine being rolled out and everything for Christmas, I would really love to go to Tampa for the Super Bowl with my best boys and get to be in the stadium and watch the Super Bowl and then do our tradition after the game together. Mm. I would love that, too. And we can't even tell you what the tradition after the game is, but it gets wild. Crazy. Um, I would love that, but that ain't happening. We have There's not heard no anything internally. There's no We've chance. Whispers Let's be point. realistic here. We've been uh, very blessed to go to every Super Bowl since this podcast started, uh, and even a couple of years before uh, for Mark and I. Uh, but obviously, this is a very different year, and uh, I got a good feeling this will be the first ATN podcast we do uh, from back in L.A. covering a Super Bowl, which will probably be a lot easier of a lift. Uh, but you trade the lift for the experience of being at the Super Bowl because there's really nothing like being at a Super Bowl city uh, for that game. It's, How about it's kickoff? Really, uh, Week one. That feels more realistic. We're not going to be you know, cutting the line for – I don't think they're going to have us cut the line for vaccines uh, what do you mean? Super Mark Bowl. and I already got vaccinated. Let's do, yeah, we're good. let's do kickoff weekend. You know, give us, send us to the the week one Thursday game. Do a special podcast there to celebrate. Celebrate. All right. I mean, it will be weird about a live to not show? be at like the Super Bowl week festivities where you're trying. You know, you're one of like thirty um, rotund, uh, you know, pasty journos attempting to get, uh, you know, Russell Wilson to say three words. Um, I will miss that. Um, but I will miss it in the sense because, like, will that ever happen again? I don't know. But there's a lot of, mm. you know, we will yes, not be uh, we will, will not be apprehended by the FBI on a boat out on Florida waters. And you know Tampa's <laughs> probably going to be on fire. They don't even know that coronavirus exists. So we are probably missing out on what would be um, an escape from L.A. society. Uh, I thought you were going to say we we're missing out on a great case of coronavirus that we yeah. would catch in Tampa. Well, we definitely would, and that would, you know... Get my phone stolen at a barstool party and then get locked under a tree in a hurricane with an Uber an hour away? That can't... That won't happen this year, and that's upsetting. I'll quote Don Draper, and by the way, that's what you get for going to a barstool party. Yeah, I know. I'll quote Don Draper, uh, Mark Sessler, uh, and... and because what you're saying is basically what is more of a super spreader event than media night at the uh, <laughs> Super Bowl and totally true, just like the scouting combine uh, as well. And a lot of body odors and sweat and it's just not pleasant in, in a lot of ways. But uh, Don Draper and Mad Men speaking to Peggy uh, after she had her secret child and uh, she had the child spoiler. in shame and it was well, a yeah, spoiler alert. And Don Draper, who, of course, was Dick Whitman in an earlier life, spoiler alert, and started over and hid his past and moved on, says to Peggy, it will shock you how much it never happened. Move forward. That's what's going to happen here. As much as we're in this moment in life with with COVID right now, I just get the feeling that in a couple of years after hopefully everyone's vaccinated and it goes away. If all these things that you think are never coming back actually do come back, because 
it will shock you how quickly people can move on and just move forward. Well, I think there's going to be a reverb of people going absolutely crazy, um, or or that will be one of the greatest pull quotes uh, we've ever had on this show. Um, <laughs> if society continues to go down the tube, I we'll mean. See. People moved. People moved on in July in this country. That's they pretty much right. were like, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Let's right. Just, so if nobody's getting sick uh, from that particular bug anymore, it will shock you how much it never happened. Maybe we'll we will have not learned our lesson, but uh, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. All right. Before we uh, move on, so there you go. There's our wishes. Uh, that was nice. Good seg. Enjoyed it. Here is the the first game of Thursday. Wait, real quick. Real quick, a wish from all of us before we move into this Chargers preview. Is that what you're previewing? I don't even know. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, We wish that Chris gets feeling better and is with us for every show next year and maybe even after Christmas. All together, all of us wish, the listeners wish, we all wish for that. Absolutely. Great call. Ricky, it's been... A really hard year for this podcast, and for Wes, it's been an unbelievable battle, and at times a struggle, uh, at almost all times, perpetually a struggle. It's a, it's amazing how brave and tough that dude is, especially with a newborn in the house, and Lakeisha also. She's the new Lenny Dykstra. She's nails. So Shout, uh, shout out to Rhoda, her, her mom, Keisha's mom, coming into town and whooping and hollering for her favorite player, Lamar Jackson, last night. She was on, <laughs> unfortunately yeah, for you, Mark, they were, she was on the right side of that lockoff. <laughs> I, I, am in, I love her enjoyment of football. Um, it, it got in my way last night to some degree, but I totally honor her uh, enthusiasm. Right. And, and when I call Lakeisha uh, Jackson Wessling, a version of Lenny Dykstra, I don't mean the version of Lenny Dykstra whose teeth fell out and was, uh, was in jail ask. over fraud, uh, consumer okay. fraud. I mean, uh, just the hard nose grinding, uh, you know, t- take one for the team vibe. That's what she's all about. All right. Let's get to everybody's like, who the f- is Lenny Dykstra? Let's get to uh, the game to be played on week 15. Chargers, Raiders. I'm into the game. Not as much as I, I a month ago, this felt like it would have been a great game because the Chargers, yes, they're, they're, even a month ago, the record wasn't good, but we all loved the excitement around this team with a young quarterback. Uh, but there's been more of a depressing um, and true and fitting L.A. fashion, kind of a smog that's now settled over the Chargers with Anthony Lynn being in over his head and Herbert coming down to earth a little bit. And the Raiders, you know, obviously this is a team taking on major water, the USS Gruden. So they have one last chance here at 7-6 and six at home to keep their season alive. And then if you win this game, and like I said, you got the Dolphins after that who you're chasing for a playoff spot, who knows? You never know, but you got to win this one first. Uh, Greg, do you think this is not going to happen? you think the Raiders are just going to completely implode and continue to go down in flames? I'm torn because the Chargers have looked worse, even though I know they won on Sunday overall, you know, over the last few weeks than they have all season. But I think I'm going to take the Chargers just because I want it to happen. It would be kind of fun for me to see the <laughs> Raiders go down in flames. It's too bad. This um, podcast is not a, a fan of the Raiders I've, organization. I've, wa- I, I I've wanted to be. I really have. Apparent. I mean, ultimately, Nelson Aguilar is like their number one receiver, and they're an offense first team. So how far are you going? Because since Gruden has taken over, they are dead last, 32 of 32 in uh, expected points. Uh, added on defense uh, or allowed on defense. And so that hasn't changed e- each and every week. And 
And if the Chargers win this game, I think it'll be because Herbert plays well. He did the first time against the Raiders. That was a really fun game, a high-scoring game um, that the Raiders won at the very last second with uh, Isaiah Johnson, you know, bashing that a couple plays out on the goal line or else they would have lost that game. Um, Joey Bosa's playing great. Austin Eckler's back playing great. How about the Stars show up for the Chargers and bury their rivals, the Raiders? Well, and the Chargers didn't have Joey Bosa in that tight contest earlier in the season. Now they do. Uh, I I look at a Raiders team that's given up 150 points over the past four games. We all know that the defense is a disaster. Um, Jonathan Abram has a concussion. Nicholas Moreau, their linebacker, has a concussion. Clellan Farrell has a shoulder injury. Uh, They have 14 guys on the injury report right now. They're really banged up. And Gruden talked about the fact that, like, I think, you know, there were, there was residual corona effects with this team, too. That they, I mean, they just were battered on defense on that, on that on that sense and have never really recovered. And, uh, you know, to me, the, like the last two games for Justin Herbert, I don't know if teams have figured him out. I mean, one was the Patriots game, but it's two of his lowest three yardage outputs have been the last two games. And so um, that's coincided with Austin Eckler coming back. I don't know if that threw them out of their normal offense a little bit because he's been really productive, but they've, they've looked a little different to me. I mean, the Raiders, um, I'm not anti-Raiders, but I, I just feel like any of these teams that get into the playoffs, earn it. And they've looked right. like a team going in the opposite direction the last few weeks, which I think, you know, Dan, why you're appropriately lower on them. Um, earn it. I don't have a lot of faith in them. They seem to be coming apart at the seams. And, you know, Gruden is firing a friend and a defensive coordinator as sort of a scapegoat. But some of this falls on Gruden, too. They can't run the ball. They have 10 turnovers over the last last three games. Derek Carr, you're getting the, the bizarro version of Derek Carr. Um, you need the best version of these guys. Can they do it on Thursday night? Josh Jacobs has not been 100%. I know he was back in action this past week. They need to get back to what they were doing when the season was going well, which is running the ball, being a a tough physical team, hitting hard on defense, uh, being smart, keeping the penalties to a minimum, which always seems to be a problem with the Raiders. And then Derek Carr just has to, you know, avoid killer mistakes. I can't, like I said, I don't have the confidence in them anymore, but I just, it just would seem strange to me that a team that was playing as well as they were, um, including those two great games against the Chiefs, without any major injuries or COVID disasters, would just completely go in the tank again. So it's still, the, it doesn't quite add up to me, which makes me think, who knows, maybe they come out of a funk here uh, with a big performance against the bad Chargers team. Uh, but at the same time, if you pick the Chargers, Greg, I don't think that's crazy because the Raiders have done nothing to earn our confidence over the past month almost. Yeah, the Raiders are a better team. Um, I'm just picking for for what would be fun. And they've missed Some their players. Some people just like to watch the world burn. I like to watch. I want to see Justin Herbert light it up because to me that's probably the best The best chance for a really fun game here is two, two pretty flawed teams in the 30s going back and forth. I can envision that sort of – uh, game, but I don't like that Gruden's doing the thing at his press conference this week where he says, "Hey, I never make excuses," and then he like lists fifteen injuries and he lists fifteen excuses. Like you don't see that. <laughs> I know it's only like their conversation. It's like you haven't heard that out of Kyle Shanahan. You haven't heard that out of a lot of people. It's like uh, I've heard it out of Gruden. You, I'm with right. you. I'm with you that the Chargers will take this thing because you can't rush the passer. Uh, Justin Herbert's not going to be you know, terribly taxed mentally by what the Raiders do on defense, I'm predicting. Uh, and I see the Raiders as a team, to your point, Dan, like why were they playing the Chiefs so well? 
that, you know, there's been whispers that they've had bad practice weeks, you know, here and there. They get Mm. up for games. They get up for the Chiefs. But then they totally don't get up for the Jets. They don't, they totally fall flat against Atlanta. Where are they mentally? Like, do they feel like a team that is prepared to do whatever it takes to get into the playoffs? They play the Dolphins next week. Good luck with that. Yeah, if it's a motivation issue, uh, then they should play well in this game because this is a playoff game for the Raiders. Lose their seven and seven and uh, totally cooked. So uh, there you go. I believe. Mark and myself will handle the recap of this on Thursday night, uh, uh, in addition to our Week 15 preview that will come on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, good luck to everyone uh, sorting out their own uh, Christmas wish lists in their home, trying to deliver the goods for Santa. All right, that's it. Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm. The old boss, and Ricky Hollywood, behind the glass. Till Thursday. go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you